Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Well, happy Mon weekend. Uh... I've heard a couple different places today, and I read an article online, as I am prone to do if you ask Adriana. My, uh, I'm a wealth of unneeded knowledge. Uh, I just like to read articles, and Twitter informs me on the comings and goings of the world. But apparently this is the busiest travel day of uh, the post-COVID, whatever you want to call it, world that we've been in. So since before March 2020, uh, YVR has never been busier than it is today. So props to you for not choosing the busy space this morning. <laughs> uh, and crossing the border was, was crazy. I, I know that from the two-hour delays that people were going through to go through Peace Arch or even uh, Sumas. And it, it was just a, a busy time, but we are uh, we're, we're glad that we're able to be here together this morning. Before we jump into our, our time together in the Word, I'm, I'm really excited for what we have to, to close our series on. Uh, I'm going to invite Pablo and Angela to just join me up on stage. Um, so Pablo and Angela, they've been a part of our church community before COVID, and they, uh, they came across our, our banners, I believe, on a Sunday morning. They're like, oh, we'll just come check it out. Come off on stage, you two. Um, and they have been a... Just a wonderful blessing and part of our community. You saw Angela playing the sax this morning. And uh, they're just two people that we have just grown to appreciate and, and love in this past season. Has been a, a wild time for you to be a part of the church. Obviously, a big section in the in-between of, of online. Um, but Pablo and Angela have uh, made an, a bold and exciting decision. They're moving to Alberta, uh, specifically Morinville, Alberta. If you don't know where that is, that's okay. I'm from Alberta and I didn't know where that was. So I had to give a little Google check. It's just outside of Edmonton. Um, and so this is a, a big step for them as a family. I know that. Um, and we had a chance to sit down, Adriana and I, just to get to talk it through and to pray together and, and just to hear their hearts for, for this next season. But uh, we're going to miss you guys, and uh, you've been such a gift to us as a church. Um, but one of the best parts, I would say, of having a, a church family is that we celebrate when God leads you into, into the next season. Uh, and we, we're going to be praying for you, believing that all the details for, for your mom to be coming up, uh, to, to live with you guys, and all those details for, for family and for new place and for church and for work, all of that comes together beautifully. You are amazing people. Uh, you're a gift wherever you go. And uh, there's new challenges ahead of you, but you have the Spirit of God within you. And uh, we know that it is going to be a, a wonderful next step. So would you just join me this morning? If you ex extend your hands, if you feel comfortable, we're just going to pray for Pablo and Angela, and we're just going to believe God's blessing over them in this next season. So Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for bringing people together that maybe we wouldn't expect. For bringing Pablo and Angela into our church family, for the blessing they've been in what they have done, sure, but in, most importantly in who they are. Gifts of joy and generosity, 
of, of excitement for you and, and passion for the kingdom. Just pray that you would just guide their steps in this next season, that you would give them insight and discernment on, on how to proceed. Give them wisdom in all of their comings and goings. I just pray that this new home that they've, that they've purchased in Mournville is a home that is blessed, that it is full of your presence, that before they even enter those doors, that, that you have already set that place aside to be a space in which people that come across Pablo and Angela will come and share a meal and be space and encounter you, that your kingdom will be built through the, the lives of this couple, that your family would be built through the lives of this couple, that seeds that have been sown here would be flourishing in the season to come, that they would see you in every space, Father. Thank you for all that you're doing in their hearts individually and as a couple right now, and we just pray that every sense of fear and worry is overwhelmed by the peace that comes from you. That you would care for all the details. That any anxiety that might come would be overwhelmed by a joy knowing that you are with them in the midst of it. Thank you for the gifts that you've placed inside of them. For Angela, for Pablo, we give you thanks. Children in your kingdom, parts of our family, we are so grateful. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's just give them a hand. Thanks, you guys. It's like uh, the, the hardest and partly one of the more wonderful things of being a young community. We've done this a lot, to be honest, already at City Collective. <laughs> um, it's part of being a young transient community that there's students and there's young couples and People in their 20s that are figuring out life and 30s and figuring out life, it just it comes with the territory. But we believe here that we, we lead and we hold uh, all that we do as a church family with an open hand. That the Spirit is leading and guiding us in all the spaces that we go into. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, I'm really excited to wrap up this series. We're in the uh, middle of May, but it's the end of our series around this idea of kintsugi. And so we've talked about it previously. Um, could you just pass me my cup of water that's just sitting there? Uh, in the middle of a series called Kintsugi, and Kintsugi is this idea of Japanese pottery that takes broken pieces and puts it back together with this golden lacquer. And it makes that which was broken so much more valuable and beautiful. And so we've talked about how this is the concept of even what takes place in the midst of resurrection, how the resurrection renews the world. So over the course of this series, we've been asking the question, how does the resurrection renew the world? And how does Jesus change my life? Or, or better, better yet, how does change even happen? Or, or in the language of the New Testament, how are we transformed to become like Jesus? Because I would say for most of us, and maybe there's some of us in the room that are closer than others, there is a gap between who we are and who Jesus is. I think that's a fair assumption to make. Between who we are now in the present and, and who we ache and want and desire to be in the future. To, to be a follower of Jesus is to actually commit to this path of closing the gap. However, I think as, as you probably know firsthand, 
Renewal takes time. And renewal and change and transformation is, is the long obedience in the same direction. And this isn't just humanity's renewal as a whole. This is personal renewal that we see taking time. Renewal is not instantaneous. In fact, I think it is hard to sometimes fully see how it works. And that's why we, we talk about things like spiritual formation. Because we're all being formed into something. Whether we know it or not, formation is taking place within us. And though the Spirit wants renewal, there is an unintentional spiritual formation often at work in our lives. So John Mark Homer, he talks about this idea at length. And so I'm going to ask actually to put on the screen the slide for unintentional spiritual formation. <coughs> Great. So he talks about like this, that in our experience of being human, there is unintentional spiritual formation happening. There are stories that we believe. So this is relationships and different interplay of people around us and the things that we've come to know about ourselves. There's habits that we, we engage in. There's relationships that we have. And all of it takes a place in the environments that we are in. And the, the challenge that we face is that discipleship to Jesus is meant to actually offset all of this. This is unintentional spiritual formation, but we want to be formed in the image of Jesus, and so we need to have it come from a completely different perspective. So let's put on the next slide of intentional spiritual formation, and in place of stories we believe, we have teaching. In place of habits, we have practice. In place of relationships, we have community. And in place of just having a general environment, we have the Holy Spirit. And if you notice a dramatic difference between the unintentional spiritual formation and the intentional spiritual formation, all of these words themselves are intentional actions that you have engaged in, rather than simply the, the mundane or relational or just the, the, the things that kind of happen to us on a day-to-day -day basis. This is more what it looks like to be formed into the image of Christ. Now, through teachings and practice and community, this is how we actually partner with Jesus to reach our full potential. This is discipleship. And discipleship is a partnership with God. You are meant to play a part. And God is meant to play a part. And a, a lot of people, they can, they can miss this by going to one side of the extreme or the other. For one side, they might think, I need to do all of it. I'm going to put in all the effort and I'm going to make my relationship happen. I'm going to make my spiritual formation happen. And then the other side of it is that God does all the work and it's just going to happen just like that. We, we actually believe that there is a partnership that is meant to take place. And there's a tension that we need to live into. We have a responsibility and God has a responsibility, but our partnership isn't 50-50. 
I want you to think about it this way. I've got a, a little nephew, and we believe that he's got a little bit of a flair for the kitchen. He, he likes cooking a little bit. So anytime someone starts making something, he runs over and he pulls a chair up, and he wants to find a spot in the kitchen where he can participate. And what he does is he grabs a spoon and he's mashing potatoes or he's gotten really good at stirring scrambled eggs. And, and it's part of a grander meal and it's part of what we're taking part in that evening. But he's so excited and enthusiastic of the part that he gets to play. And then everybody, when mealtime comes, guess what? They're telling Wells, you did such a good job, buddy. This meal is so good. These eggs are the best I've ever had. These potatoes have never been mashed better. It's this celebration of the part that he played. And I think that this is kind of like our joint effort with God. That in reality, God does all of the heavy lifting. But God doesn't just want to flip a switch and, and have it all come together. He wants you and I to mature, to learn, and to grow with God in this joint effort to become your true self. Because being a disciple of Christ is to become fully human in the manner that God intended you to be. And so this partnership, this joint effort is not just 50-50, but it is God doing the heavy lifting, but you do have a part to play. Let's not get it twisted that that image of God is doing the heavy lifting, that's why in the center of it, the image, you see the Holy Spirit. Involved with teaching and practice and community, the end goal is that God literally becomes the environment, the place where you have your very being transformed. The environment that we have been transformed into the likeness of the world is replaced by the environment of the Holy Spirit where we become transformed into the likeness of Christ. So the best place for us to engage with this dual idea of how do we change and how does the Holy Spirit renew the world, is perhaps in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 to 18. So we're going to read that this morning. I want to take a moment and read it together. You can follow along on the screen. So it says here, 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has, now, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if, if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? In the language of Paul, Glory is often the idea of the, of the Spirit. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. 
Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, turns to Jesus, the veil is taken away. And now... The Lord is the Spirit. It's important to know, often when Paul talks about the language of the Lord, it is an immediate reference to Jesus. But Paul switches the language right here really intentionally. And he's very clear, and he says, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love this passage of Scripture. I feel like it is a rally cry to, like, see what you really have been given. We're going we're gonna to really dissect it together, but before we do that, I want to talk about a couple different things. Uh, when we consider change in our lives, one of the consistent variables that makes us human and separates us from animals is our will. This is just a baseline idea in philosophy. I only took one philosophy class in university. I really didn't enjoy it. I didn't have that as my major. I did it once and I was like, that's good enough for me. So I'm not a philosophy expert by any means, but this is baseline that we have three elements that fall into our idea of will or willpower. First off is our first order desires. Second is our second order desires. And then third is our second order volition. So first order desires is things like water and food and safety and, and, and sex and sleep and, and the, the things of the flesh. And this is the part of our person that has been twisted by sin that actually makes us do things like desire to gossip or harbor anger or flip off someone on the Fraser because you've hit five straight red lights. Like, that, that is, that, that's the first order desire. The second order desire are human desires that we want something that's, that's better. So think of it this way. You're walking through the mall, and you're, you're feeling hungry, and you know there's that one store that always has the specific smell that you just, like, you just crave it immediately. That place for me is Cinnabon. I don't know why. You walk through a mall, and you just know that, that there's a Cinnabon in that mall. They've got their specific smell. You walk by it and you're just like, you know, this is not going to be good for me. And, and they, they, they make it even worse because they write the calories beside their full-size cinnamon bun. It's like 1,000 or 1,200 calories, and you're like, that is not a good idea. Well, the second order desire is I want to be healthy. The first order desire is I want what I want. And that's where the third idea comes in, the second order of volition. And this is the idea, and this is our ability to overcome our first order desires with our second order desires. So this is when we actually choose the healthy choice. This is when we actually exercise our willpower to do this. Harry Frankfurt, he, he writes this. He says, that freedom is to do what one wants to do. Analogously, then, the statement that a person enjoys freedom of the will means that he is free to want what he wants to want. More precisely, it means that he is free to will what he wants to will. And it is in securing the conformity of his will to his second order of volitions then that a person exercises freedom of will. This is a really dense uh, quote. 
what he is saying is that freedom is not simply the ability to do whatever you want. Contrary to what culture actually says, this, this chance of freedom is not the ability to give in to whatever urge, desire, or thought that you have. Freedom is to want the right thing, to will the right thing, and then to have the willpower to overcome our first order desires to do the right thing. Now, in the language of the New Testament, this means to overcome the flesh to live in the way of Jesus. To live in freedom takes some willpower. And here's the truth, our willpower is kind of like a muscle. And I can't speak much to muscles or muscle building because I don't do that very often or intentionally, but something I should do. But even on the idea of building your muscle of willpower, I think most of us would say we're a little out of shape on that one. You know, a psychologist, they actually note, if, you're reading, if you've ever read a self-help book or uh, work, work smart kind of book, all of the language that they talk about is to actually do the most important things at the beginning of the day. And this isn't just good practice. This is actually how we engage with things in our willpower. We have a, a, a finite amount of willpower based upon this muscle that we operate with. And so we wake up in the morning, and for the first two hours of the morning, we are rocking and ready to go. I feel motivated to do this. I've been thinking about this yesterday. And then the second hour comes to an end, and we're like, my willpower is gone. And all the worst things that we do in, in our, our world seem to happen after the time of 10 p.m. That's fair enough to say, I think. And this, this is not like trying to be simply prescriptive. This is descriptive of what we see around us. And this isn't just what we see talked about in the Bible, but overcoming the flesh. This is what psychologists are talking about and philosophers are talking about, how willpower actually works around us. One of the key elements of our discipleship of, with Jesus of being made into his image, of being renewed by his resurrection, is learning how to exercise our will and make it stronger. So that when moments of temptation come, we have second-order volition. Or in the language of, of the New Testament, we have willpower and commitment to live in the way of Jesus. Now, all really nice thoughts. At least I think so. This is easier said than done. Because the truth is, we, we can't really influence our willpower in some of the deeper areas of our life. We, we can't just say, I'm going to have more willpower for some of these areas that are, are deeply part of us. Sure, through, through teaching, we can have a shift in our vision and we can have an understanding of the world in a way that begins to see what Christ might want to do through us. Through practice, we might long for a vision of, of flourishing around us and not just be locked into habits. And through community, we might find relationship with those who are following Christ, who are, who are on that journey of becoming more like Jesus. And, and there's this pushing and pulling that forms us into his image. This is what the New Testament calls spurring us on to love and good deeds. But it, 
it doesn't just simply work in just wanting more of that for some of these deeper areas of our lives. There are areas that you can have commitment to. I'm not going to have that second donut. I, I, I am going to go to the gym twice this week instead of zero. Like it, it's, it's a, these, a commitment of these different little things. But, but there's elements of our life that are much deeper than that. There, there is family struggle. That, that we've seen modeled for us growing up and has become an integral part of who we are. It's, it's relational breakdown of, of a commitment that you've made for an extended period of time and now it's had a significant impact upon your life. It's a loss of security that makes you feel completely out of control and you don't know what to do next. Teaching, practice, and community are great But when we encounter those kind of elements of our life that are real and honest and true and comprehensive, it is beyond our ability. So the good news is is that you have a part to play in your discipleship. You have a part to play in what God wants to do in the world and in your life. The bad news is, is that no matter how much willpower you have, it will never be enough to live the way of Jesus. We need access to a power that is beyond us in the Holy Spirit. Teaching, practice, and community that is absent of the Holy Spirit is going to fall short of the desire of being made into the image of Christ. It's not to say that willpower is bad. It's a good thing. We need more of that muscle. The problem is it's not good enough. We need to access to a power that's beyond us. We need access to the Holy Spirit. And that's why 2 Corinthians 3 is really important. So I want you to recall 2 Corinthians 3 as we read another portion of Scripture in Exodus chapter 34. So we're going to what's referenced in 2 Corinthians 3, and we're going to start in verse 29. And it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near to him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So in this story... Moses has an encounter with the living God, what the Old Testament calls the glory of God, which was God's presence, which we know was located in a cloud at the time. And it's, a, it's this precursor to the Holy Spirit living in, in you and me. And after every encounter with the presence of God, Moses is changed to the point that his face is beaming. And he has to wear a veil over his face when coming to people. Now, now who had access to the presence of God in this story? This isn't a trick question. 
Just Moses. No one else. Not the high priest, not anyone else in Israel, not, not a single person. It was Moses and Moses alone. And then we go back to 2 Corinthians 3. And you'll notice that the entire chapter is written against the backdrop of Exodus 34. And what Paul is doing, he's comparing and he's contrasting Moses' relationship to the glory and now our relationship as a follower of Jesus to God's presence in the here and now. In verse 12, it noted that we aren't like Moses who had to wear a veil when he came around other people. It, he, he spoke of the old covenant, how, how only through Jesus is that taken away. So the veil is removed. So let's focus on verses 17 and 18. If you can pull that back up on the screen for everyone out of 2 Corinthians 3. So it says, now the Lord, uh, let's go 2 Corinthians 3. Second Corinthians 3, going to verse 17, says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, where you find that place where God is, there is freedom. Now in context, he's writing how people are set free from bondage. How are they set free from bondage? When people engage with the Spirit of the Lord, that's when they're set free. So let's clarify again what the Holy Spirit of is. It isn't like the force that we see in Star Wars. Though Star Wars is great, I'm really pumped for Obi-Wan Kenobi, March, May 27th, Disney Plus coming to a, a, a TV near you. Um, the Holy Spirit is a person according to the language of the New Testament. It is a power. It is a spirit that empowered Jesus to do kingdom work and empowers you and I to do that same work. And it is the presence of God, the spirit that is with us and is in us, according to the New Testament. Our bodies have become a temple for the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on in verse 18, and it says that we all who with unveiled faces, this is Moses lingo, we're like Moses, we have full access to God, not just one of us or two of us or just me because I've got a mic in my, on my face. Uh, not, this, this is all of us that have the exact same access to the presence of God. It says, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. Contemplate in the Greek is to stare at something in the mirror. Corinth in the Greco-Roman world was famous for its bronze mirrors. It was one of its main exports. And this imagery, imagery would have been really well known to a first century Corinthian that was hearing this. This is Paul saying that you and I with unveiled faces need to stare into the face of Jesus, to live in relationship with the Holy Spirit, to do what Jesus actually invites us to do, and that is to abide in the vine. The idea is that as we live into relationship and intimacy and communion with the Holy Spirit, watch what happens. That you and I are going to be transformed. And it's going to be a complete radical overhaul of all that makes us who we are. Not self-help, 
not a life enhancement, but we are to be transformed into his image, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what Paul says. Which means that all of this is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. You can put up the Gordon Fee quote now. Gordon Fee says that through Christ and by the Spirit, we are being transformed so as to bear the likeness for which we were intended at the beginning. One takes the Spirit lightly in Pauline theology and Christian experience at great risk. Take note of that. For herein lies the glory that by the Spirit we not only come to know God, but come to live in His presence in such a way as constantly to be renewed into God's image. This is my challenge in, in the midst of this talk this morning. If you downplay the role of the Holy Spirit in your discipleship, you will never be transformed into the degree that you ache for. You will never realize your full potential. Willpower will never get you there. Teaching, practice, and community are great, but teaching, practice, and community with the Holy Spirit at the center of it that is what we are invited to actually be on a path towards. And with our relationship with the Holy Spirit, it can come in different ways. We can have breakthrough moments, moments where people experience freedom and healing. Often when you have a conversation with someone that has an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it is a dramatic breakthrough moment, it falls into the categories of breakthrough and healing. And we need those moments. But the Holy Spirit also operates in process moments, those Every day, ongoing pieces of our life where we are committed to an engagement with the Spirit of God and we're inviting it to be part of all that we do. I, I want you to think of it this way, that a breakthrough moment is, is someone that I, I've had conversations with people, they, they've seen their life transformed in that singular moment. But it's very rare that you have a conversation with someone that has a breakthrough moment and that they were an impatient jerk of a person, and they have a breakthrough moment, and then suddenly they're the most patient, kindest person in the world. That's not often what you see take place. You might see freedom happen. You might see healing happen. But what Christ is doing, what the Spirit is actually doing, is that ongoing process of formation. It is actually being shaped into the image of Christ. Some of us need that breakthrough moment to start the process, but we need the process moments to actually get to that place of reflecting the image of Christ. This is a both and. In John chapter 15, Jesus teaches us about abiding in the vine. And he, he's pretty harsh about it. He communicates that without the vine, you can do nothing. And then we go to Galatians 5, and Paul, he writes about this idea. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, better known as patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is not a list of behaviors. This is a picture of of the inner disposition of a follower of Jesus who has been transformed by the Spirit. This is what discipleship actually looks like down the path. 
that you become a kinder person that is loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and, and, and just good and faithful and gentle and marked by self-control. This is our inner disposition that will shape our behavior because when you abide in the vine, when you are engaged with the Spirit, you, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our life is the fruits of the Spirit that Paul outlines. And sometimes we try to skip the step. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to be more gentle. I'm going to have more self-control. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's actually saying, you just need to spend more time in my presence. And the fruit of your life will be all of these things and more. This is a genuine commitment of, I'm going to be in the presence of God, not relying on my own willpower, but upon the presence of God that is given to me by a saint that said that it was better for him to leave so that we could have the Spirit with us. There's a reason why he said it was better. And he ends by saying, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit, or in the language of Jesus, let's abide in the vine. And that's just one command. That's it. Devote your life to abiding. To, a, to live in relationship with God. And the byproducts of it are the fruits of the Spirit. So this is what we need to do. We need to create conditions in our life for the Holy Spirit to do the deep work of change. So the conditions for the Holy Spirit to do the work is the intentional engagement of our willpower to the disciplines of our life to create space. So you are bringing what you can to the table in your partnership. And you're just creating space in your life for the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting. Teaching is, is get to church. Practice is, is engage in spiritual disciplines. Community is having vulnerability and accountability with other Christ followers on your journey of faith. And in every space, invite the Holy Spirit. Create those conditions, set up the environments in your life for the Holy Spirit, and expect that that deep work of change will happen. Think of it this way. There is a great feast that is being prepared, and you've been invited. And what Jesus has asked you to do is, can you turn on the lights outside? Can you make sure there's enough coat hangers in the closet? And can you set the table? And then the master shows up, and the master has got the playlist ready to go. He's got food for everyone. He's got the agenda for the party. He's got all the speeches taken care of. He's got every other detail, all the heavy lifting of the party in place. And he's saying that you've done the job of setting the table. Now watch me do the rest. And you know what? Everyone is now celebrating and enjoying. And you've had the most fulfilling dinner of your entire life, and all you did was set the table. And here's the beautiful thing is you set the table and you received, but so did all those other people who attended that dinner because that's what happens with the Holy Spirit. When we think of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit is the, uh, the veiled face. So we, we see that Moses has this experience. He has this radiance go out of him. They veil his face to protect almost others. And then in the New Covenant, you and I, our faces are not veiled. But that also doesn't mean that the radiance is not as vibrant as it was for Moses. The same authoritative, transforming, 
radiant power that was coming off of Moses in that moment is on each and every follower of Jesus. Your faces are radiant when you are in the presence of God. The difference is now Jesus is saying, go. Bring that radiance everywhere. Because it will not hurt those around you. It will bless those around you. It will be contagious. It will be the radiance of God shared with all those around you. And is there no better evangelistic tool then to simply start by getting in the presence of God? It is not a well-crafted speech. It is not a perfect apologetic. It sometimes simply starts by you getting into the presence of God on a consistent basis. Having the radiance of God coming off of you because your face is unveiled. That the presence of God is upon you to be the contagious, transformative change in our world. This is the kingdom of God at work. And this is the partnership that we're invited into. Can you imagine what it would look like if we started to actually engage in that partnership of, I'm going to set the table and let the master bring the feast. Every morning, I'm going to set the table. Understanding how my willpower works, I need to have those two hours committed in the morning to do enough things in my day that I'm going to set the table for the spirit to start to work in my life. And then all day long, the radiance of God is coming off of me because that's the engagement I have with those around me. The presence of God coming off of me. Frederick Buechner, he says, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is highly contagious. I love that. He's highly contagious. Paul says we are being transformed. And, but here's the challenge that we face in this modern society. We want it all right now. We want it. We, we are a get-quick generation. We, we want skip the dishes to the door under 20 minutes, fed, eaten, no, no waste, taken care of. And that's what we want with the Spirit of God doing work within us. That's what we want transformation to look like. But every time I have a conversation with someone who's experienced the presence of God work in their life, someone who's done life, when I talk to my parents or others in the room that have actually seen God at work in their life, have followed Jesus faithfully for 30, 40 years, it is not an instantaneous process. There are breakthrough moments, sure. But it is that long obedience in the same direction. It is the daily committing of our heart to Christ. And oftentimes, those deep moments of transformation are out of a place of hardship. But our job is to meet God in the place of our pain and let the Spirit begin the process of healing that we need. Worship team, could you join me at the front? We'll get the whole worship team up. So this is what we find in the midst of our talk this morning. 
the Holy Spirit is, is at work in each and every one of our lives. When you are a follower of Jesus, the radiance of the Spirit is meant to come off of you. But the reality of each of our stories is that we need the Spirit to do the work within us each and every day. That we carry pride and we carry sin. We carry guilt and we carry shame. We feel a sense of brokenness and we feel a sense of regret. We, we're, we're, we're frustrated with, with where we are and we want something more. All of these things are part of living in a broken world. And I never want this to be the case, that you would believe that God is trying to cause bad things in your life in order for you to grow. That is not what, what I believe about God, and I don't want that to be what you believe about God. We live in a broken world, but we have a compassionate God that uses our broken moments to make us whole. And there is freedom that's found in the Spirit. And so for each and every one of us this morning, I want you to experience freedom. Would you stand to your feet with me? Part of engaging with the Holy Spirit is a willingness to to bring the spaces of our life that we would consider bondage. And committing that to allow the Spirit to do a new work. You can go ahead and play now. What I want to invite this morning is just to take a time of prayer. That we would invite you, Holy Spirit, to pull on our hearts. To meet us in spaces that we would feel bondage and needing a breakthrough. Thank you for the truth of your spirit. I just pray for every person in this room this morning. That this would be more than just a good idea following Jesus. And this, this attendance of a service would not just be a checkbox. But Heavenly Father, we just pray right now that Spirit fall upon us. Stir something fresh within us. And let freedom come in this place. I just pray that there be boldness that rises up within your people. Boldness to, to bring that which is broken to the forefront so that you might heal it. To call that which is bound what it is so that you might free it. Boldness in this room, Jesus. Holy Spirit, just begin the renewal in each of our hearts this morning that needs to happen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.